reading is from John chapter 20, verse 24 we're starting at, and it's on page 1089, John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I want to start with a quotation. I wonder how many of you have heard this quotation. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Anybody heard that before? It was the journal entry for October the 28th, 1949, of an American called Jim Elliot. Now, he probably read the 17th century English preacher, Philip Henry, who wrote it like this. He is no fool who parts with that which he cannot keep when he is sure to be recompensed which that, with that which he cannot lose. Or in other words, he's saying, it's not foolish to die for the sake of the gospel. Now, a few years after Jim Elliot wrote that, he was killed by tribal warriors in the Amazon rainforest in Ecuador. He was one of five young men who gave that that they could not keep their lives because they were sure of a reward in heaven. Well, I wonder how you are investing in eternity. Jim was 20 years old when he wrote that, and 28 when he died. He left behind a wife and a 10-month-old baby daughter. He didn't plan to leave them, but he took that risk in order to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to a people who needed to hear it. Some said he was foolish, But Jim knew that he couldn't lose. In eternal terms, he was making a wise investment. Now, you can watch the film that shows how the good news of Jesus did break through into this tribe that was so full of feuds and revenge killings that they almost wiped themselves out. You can watch it on YouTube. Just search for Beyond Gates of Splendour. 
Don't do that now if you've got your phones. It's about an hour and a half long. It's a bit American and a little bit sentimental, but it's an honest attempt to tell a true story of what happened. It documents what happened to the families after those five men had given their lives. Jim's widow and little baby daughter ended up living with the tribe for a couple of years, and she helped translate the Bible into their language. And the film goes a bit further. It goes to the point where her, his daughter had grown up and in America, as a college girl, she decided she wanted to be baptised. She wanted to live for Jesus as well. But she didn't want to be baptised in America. She wanted to go back to the rainforest, to the river, where those tribal men had thrown spears at her father and thrown his body into the river. And two of the men who'd done that baptised her. By this time, they were leaders in the new church. It's an amazing story of how the good news of Jesus transforms lives. And in 2,000 years, countless Christians have found that to follow Jesus can mean to follow him to your death, to take up your cross, to be ready to lose your life for the sake of the gospel. And today we're looking at Thomas Didymus. Didymus, which means twin. Thomas the twin. And he too was also killed when he took the gospel of Jesus to pagans. Now incidentally, we don't know anything about his twin. We don't know who the twin was, whether they also became a Christian and died for their faith. But we are told a little about Thomas. And crucially, we're told this story of how he came to believe that Jesus had physically risen from the dead and now has a new body. So let's look at Thomas. Why was he the only disciple missing when Jesus walked into the disciples' locked room? Where was he? What was he doing? We're continuing our series of transformed lives. And as we do that, it's good to remind ourselves of how we came to believe in Jesus ourselves. Where was it that we heard that Jesus had risen from the dead? What convinced us? If you were invited onto this stage this evening to tell your Christian story, what was it that made a difference to you? Don't worry, the person who's coming up here knows who it is. It's not you, I won't be picking on someone. Not this week anyway. Now maybe you're not convinced you haven't made your mind up yet about Jesus. People who die like Jesus did simply don't come back to life. Whatever happened then, there must be some other way of explaining it, you might be thinking. But if that's you, and you're not sure that Jesus rose from the dead, then you can't be sure that he can also rescue you and give you eternal life in his everlasting kingdom. And that's not the position that I'd want to be in for too long. But the good news is that John, who wrote this book that we're looking at, knew that. He knew he'd have a problem believing it. He wrote his gospel for that very purpose. And that exact, that's exactly why he tells us the story of Thomas. So with John, welcome to Thomas's world. It's 
John's last piece of his jigsaw, his final piece of evidence. He wrote his gospel to convince you that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing it, you will enjoy eternal life. If you've got that passage open on page 1090, look at what the words that John wrote immediately after what we've just read. John 20 and verse 30. John says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, John's gospel is now complete, and he completes it with Thomas's story. All he has left to say in chapter 21 is to talk about what Jesus said to him and Peter over breakfast on the beach in Galilee. And he finishes his book with the statement that he could have written so much more, but this is his testimony, his his eyewitness record of what he saw. And we can rely upon it totally. Let me read you the very last two sentences of this book. chapter 21 verse 24 this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down we know that his testimony is true Jesus did many other things as well if every one of them were written down I suppose that even the whole world would not have rooms for the books that would be written see John wants you to know the truth about Jesus that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that by believing in him you will have life in his name. The certain hope of spending eternity with God, where there's no suffering or sadness, but perfect rest, love, joy and peace, and all the rewards of his eternal kingdom. And to help anyone who's struggling to believe that, he gives us the tale of Thomas. And what's the first thing that we notice with Thomas? He's missing. He wasn't there when Jesus miraculously turns up in a locked room and shows the other disciples his body. He now has a resurrected body, a body that will last forever, but it still bears the marks of his crucifixion. The nail holes in his hands and the spear hole in his side. When we meet Jesus, we'll be able to marvel We'll be able to see those marks. We'll see that he took our place and he died for our sins. And we'll never stop worshipping him. We'll be joining the angels singing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. But where had Thomas gone? When all the other disciples were huddled together, hidden away in a locked room, because they feared that the Jewish authorities would round them up and have them executed to finally get rid of this teaching of Jesus that they hated so much. Well, what do we know of Thomas that might account for his absence? Let's just look back through the New Testament to see if we can find some clues. John reminds us that Thomas was one of the twelve. 
why was he one of the twelve? Well, it's because he was following Jesus, but more than that, it was because Jesus chose him to be one of his twelve apostles. Let's just look at that. Would you turn with me to page 1033, Luke chapter 6 and verse 12 on page 1033. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out onto the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Often when there was something important happening, Jesus would spend the night in prayer. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. So it's Jesus' choice, and there is Thomas in verse 15, amongst the 12 that he chose. Personally chosen by Jesus to be one of his close followers. And he called them apostles, which means someone sent out with a special mission. And like the other 12, Thomas had lived with Jesus for almost three years. He was one of those on the inside. He heard what Jesus said just to the disciples, as well as what he said to the crowds. And he witnessed the same miraculous signs that the others saw that showed who Jesus was. And he went on missions with the other apostles. Let's look at what Jesus said to the 12 as he sent them out on a mission in Matthew 10 and verse 1. And this is worth turning to on page 975. Page 975, the beginning of Matthew chapter 10. Now imagine that you're Thomas. You've seen some extraordinary things. You've heard some amazing teaching by Jesus. And now you're told to do this. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And Matthew gives you the names of the apostles again. There's Thomas in verse 3. Verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go... Preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Well, what a mission it must have been to preach that the kingdom of heaven is near and to back that up by healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing those with leprosy, driving out evil spirits. It hasn't cost you anything to follow me, says Jesus. It's all a gift. I chose you. Now go and share the free gift of the kingdom of heaven with others. I wonder if you've been on one of those training courses when the person in the front has been telling you lots of things and it's been really good so far and you've been following it pretty well and then there's a moment of quiet when the person at the front chooses someone from the, 
from the audience to come up and demonstrate what they've learnt themselves, to demonstrate in public. You get picked on. Maybe that's what happens in college or, or in the classroom at school, that you get picked on and have to go to the front and show what you know. Well, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? You might have thought you understood it, but now to tell others what you know, to stand up in front of them, well, it's scary, isn't it? It takes courage. Well, how would the disciples feel? How would Thomas feel? About to put into practice what Jesus has been teaching. Listen to a little more of the training that Jesus gives before he sends them out. I won't read it all. You could read the whole chapter. It's amazing. But let me just pick out a few of the verses from 17. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you won't finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And he goes on, just a couple more verses. 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And 38 and 39. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So Thomas sets out with the other apostles, prepared for opposition and ready for anything, including being arrested and maybe even killed. And they have a successful mission. People listen, receive healing, and are freed from evil spirits. And no one is arrested or killed. Not yet, anyway. And this is the pattern for Thomas and the other disciples over that three years. Thomas is with Jesus. He receives some amazing teaching, which he tries his best to understand. He sees Jesus perform miraculous signs, and he and the other apostles also perform miraculous signs. He knows this is no ordinary apprenticeship. He's part of something big, something new, but he couldn't quite get his mind around what it is. We're given just a few insights into how Thomas thinks. Just uh, a couple more before we go to our passage. Turn with me to page 1077. We've covered this quite recently, the story of Lazarus. Do you remember Thomas's part in the story of Lazarus? 
Do you remember Jesus tells the disciples that they're going to Judea? To Lazarus' home because Lazarus is dead. But he also says that the sickness will not end in death. Jesus will be glorified in what happens. And the disciples don't want to go because they've only just escaped with their lives from that place a short time before. Jesus was almost stoned to death. But hear what Thomas says. John 11 and verse 16. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go also, that we may die with him. Thomas takes Jesus at his word. He's not really understanding what losing your life for my sake really means, but he's bold enough to go where Jesus tells him to go, no matter what might happen. And he was right to do so, to take Jesus at his word. Thomas's timing was slightly out. Jesus wouldn't die in this visit. It would be a few months later. And the apostles wouldn't die in this visit either. But over the next 40 years, records show that they were all killed for their faith. Except for one, the Apostle John, who was imprisoned and tortured for his faith. But he survived to, to old age and write the book of Revelation. Historians record that Thomas took the gospel to Persia and India. And in AD 70, in Kalamina, India, he was tortured by angry pagans, run through with spears, and thrown into the flames of an oven. So Thomas was right that he would die with Jesus. It just happened a bit later than he thought. And Jesus was only there by his Holy Spirit living in him. But let's come back to our passage. Long before that, before Jesus died, Thomas was ready to lay down his life. He took Jesus at his word. He said what he thought, and he was bold in speaking it out. You knew where you stood with Thomas. He lived by his convictions. Sorry, just one more thing before we turn to our passage. In John 14, 1. Do you remember the passage that, uh, where Jesus is preparing the disciples for what life is going to be like after he's died? He knows the disciples will find it hard to understand that he's died. And he gives them some comforting words to help them through the difficult period immediately after his death. Hear what Jesus says to the disciples in John 14, 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the place you know the way to the place where I am going.
And Thomas is the one who speaks up. Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? I think this is how Thomas thinks. He doesn't know what Jesus means by rooms in my father's house. No, Lord, we don't know what you mean. How can we possibly know how to get there? And Jesus answers with one of his I am sayings, using the name that God called himself when speaking to Moses. Moses said, who should we say you are, Lord? What name shall I tell the people you are? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. Tell them that I am sent you. And so Jesus uses these words. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, it's hardly the answer that Thomas was after. He wanted to know where Jesus was going. He wanted to know a postcode to put in his sat-nav or his mobile phone. He wanted to know exactly where Jesus said he was going. But it does appear that Thomas listens carefully and tries to make sense of everything Jesus says. And maybe that explains why Thomas was missing the first time Jesus appeared to the disciples. Perhaps he was mulling things over, trying to remember what Jesus had told them about his death and where he was going and how you come to the Father through him. Perhaps he wasn't afraid to die, so he wasn't cooped up with the others. He was trying not to let his heart be troubled. Anyway, he must have been kicking himself for missing Jesus the first time that he arrived. But he wasn't about to believe what the other disciples were saying. It just didn't make sense to him. He couldn't piece it all together. But being a practical sort, he decides to stick with the others for the moment to see if he can work everything out and work out what really happened when they said that Jesus mysteriously entered the locked room. So now we're finally back on our passage. And bearing this in mind, Jesus knows exactly how Thomas thinks. So it's not surprising that when Jesus appears the second time to the disciples, he confronts Thomas with his unbelief. Go on, Thomas. Here are my hands. Touch them if you want to. Stop doubting and believe. But Thomas has seen enough. He's finally worked it out. He now knows what Jesus meant when he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He understands why Jesus used the word for God, I am, when he was talking about himself. It all comes together for him. And he responds, my Lord and my God. It's the simple five-word response that John uses to complete his gospel story. It's why he wrote the gospel, so that everyone would be able to respond to Jesus, my Lord and my God. 
And notice what Thomas says. He doesn't say, okay, Lord, now I believe that you are the Christ. I couldn't quite believe it from the others, but now I see for myself, I see it's true what they said. No, he said something much more personal. My Lord and my God. He doesn't just know who Jesus is, he knows him personally. And it's the first time that anyone has called Jesus my God. Others have called him Lord and the Son of God, but now Thomas sees him as he is. Not just Jesus their Messiah, he's also his God and his friend that he can serve as his Lord. And then Jesus gives us his last beatitude. He completes his list of the people who are blessed. But it's not Thomas, is it, who's added to the list. He only got to the right answer because he saw it with his eyes. No, the ones who receive the blessing are people like us. Who read the reports of those who saw it for themselves and still, like Thomas, say, my Lord and my God. See, it's the right response, Thomas. But you could have listened to the eyewitnesses that saw me last week. Then you too would be called blessed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. Blessed are those who say, my Lord and my God, because they believe the evidence and then take up their crosses and follow me. So we can be grateful to Thomas for taking Jesus at his word. And we can be grateful that he took the gospel to Persia and to India. We can be thankful that Thomas laid down his life for his faith. But Jesus says he's not our role model. We can do better than him. We can have a greater blessing than him because we have believed without seeing with our eyes. Would you join me in a prayer? Thank you, Father, for the gospel story that we have. The story of Jesus and his disciples, so honestly and carefully written down for us. How Jesus taught them and how often they didn't understand what he was saying, but slowly they came to see who he was. And thank you so much that we can experience all the blessings that they received directly from Jesus when we repent and believe when we're baptised and receive the Holy Spirit. For those of us who still have our doubts, then please deal with us gently as we seek to find the truth and help us to learn from Thomas's story and not refuse to believe just because we haven't seen it with our own eyes. And for those of us who do believe, and know you personally, please show us the next steps we can take 
to experience all the blessings that you have for us in this world and in the world to come. Help us to invest in eternity, not to be ashamed of the good news of Jesus, but to be eager to tell others, especially those who've never heard the story before. We pray for those who, who we know are taking the gospel into dangerous places. We think of Andrew Wallace and Ruth Sanders who are working in South Sudan. And we think of all the countless people who are suffering because of their faith at the moment. And we ask that you will give them boldness as they demonstrate the love of Jesus to those who don't know you. Amen.